All right, so we got a difficult big question today, and uh, I'm going to sit down for it. You may see the pattern. If I start sitting down uh, when I'm speaking, it's because what I say may be offensive, <laughs> and I just want to come across a little softer. Um, but if I, uh, if I stand up, I'm pretty sure of what I'm saying. So let me, let me sit down today. <laughs> There's a clue. How's about that? So, we're in a series called Big Questions, right? Well, over the last few weeks, you have uh, sent in some questions, and my task during the summer is to try and answer them. Just before we start, I I want to share something that I'm learning through this process. We have had a whole lot of diverse questions. We've had theological questions. We've had practical questions. We've had heartfelt questions. Today, I think we've got quite a cultural question. But every one of those questions I've discovered as I've been preparing to try and answer them has three things in common, right? And I think there's a principle here that I want to mine a little bit uh, further later on. But if you have a big question for God, there are three things that you have to realize to answer it thoroughly, right? First of all, you've got to spend some time in the Scripture, right? And again, you've got to read the Scripture, not just to find the answer in the Scripture, but find the answer to how I live differently because of that answer that's revealed in the Scripture. Does that make, make, make sense, right? There is not one of the questions that anybody has asked, and we've had some diverse, crazy questions, some of which I'm not answering because they're too crazy, (laughs) is found in the Scriptures, right? If you've got a big question about God, don't run from the Scriptures. That's the dumbest thing you can do, run to the Scriptures, right? Second thing with all these big questions is that if you're going to answer these questions, you have to put yourself in a place of humility, right? There is not an answer to the questions that have been asked that doesn't require a healthy dose of humility on our part, right? I think one of the reasons we have so many doubts about our faith, so many big questions of God, is because our ego is so big that it won't allow us to hear answers we don't want to hear, right? So if you've got a big question about God and you want an answer, you have to say, I don't have the answer, and God, you do, And we have to let him speak, right? Read the word, humble yourself, and then realize that ultimately the answer will in some way point towards Jesus. It'll point to his authority. It'll point to his truth. It'll point to his sovereignty. It'll point to his love. It'll point to his grace. But if you're asking a big question of God, and it doesn't turn you to Jesus in some way, keep looking for the answer because you haven't found the right one yet. So today's big question, I don't know who asked it, is this, is karma Christian? Is karma Christian? Now, if you don't mind being offended a little bit, but you want a good laugh, Google image um, memes about karma, (laughs) right? Karma has kind of become this um, default go-to worldview paradigm in our culture today, right? 
And sometimes we love karma, right? When it works in our favor. And a lot of the times we curse karma when it works against us. For a lot of us, though, karma is um, a kind of good excuse, right? When we see someone uh, behaving poorly or hurting us, karma kind of appeals to our sense of uh, fairness and justice, right? Well, karma's going to get you. I don't believe that karma is a Christian value. I think that there are some things in Christianity that can look a lot like karma, but karma as it's used today, I kind of put in the same category as some of the empty, other empty phrases that we use. Let me share them with you. Again, we do them all the time, so I'm sitting down because I don't want to offend you. Probably in the last week, you have had a conversation with someone and said, good luck to you. What is luck? What's the, what's the power behind luck? Now, the intent of wishing someone luck is noble and honorable, but luck doesn't really have any power. This week, I was signing a birthday card for someone. And I scribbled in there, best wishes. Anyone done that? Again, nice greeting. I mean the best for them. But what kind of power is there in wishes? <laughs> One of my least favorite, and I really scratch my head along this, because it kind of makes me think all ah, like a spirituality of Beach Boys or something. Good vibes. Send me prayers and good vibes, right? You can send me prayers because the prayers are going somewhere. Where are the vibes going? And so I put karma in that same kind of category as good luck, best wishes, good vibes. Because the question about karma is what's the source of karma? Or to put it another way, who's in control of karma. It, it, it all kind of comes back to this issue of control that we're so hungry for so often, right? That there are three levels of control, three ways that we can do that. First of all, uh, we can say, hey, God, I want you to be in control, right? Which is the, uh, the foundation of Christian thought, right? The life isn't about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about me getting my way. It's about saying, hey, God, you're in control, the next level of control is that we put our self in control. And honestly, that's where uh, most of the world lives. You go into a bookstore, right? The number of books that have the word self in the title is the biggest section in there, right? Because we like to be in control. Now, is us being in control wrong? Not always, because God empowers us sometimes to be in control. But if God is empowering us to be in control, ultimately that means God's in control, right? So there are three places where we put our control. Either God's in control, or we're in control, or the enemy's in control. The thing that concerns me about karma is that it doesn't answer the question, who's in control? Does that make sense? 
on one level, it kind of says we could be in control, but in a very vague, in a very mysterious, in a very uncertain way. Here's another of my concerns. Whenever we start to talk about spiritual things outside of God, our enemy who wants to control us has free reign to do that. So three things I want to talk about today as we try and understand this issue of karma. First is what is karma? Now, most people... In our society, most secular people would say uh, that we need to keep karma and carry on, right? You know, that was the propaganda uh, back in the Second World War for England, keep calm and carry on. A lot of people's spirituality is wrapped up in this idea of keep karma and carry on. And the thought comes from some uh, Eastern religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, calm man, K-A-R-M-A-N means action, effect, and fate. It talks about a spiritual cause and effect, right? I do the right thing, the right thing comes back to me. I do the wrong thing, the wrong thing comes back to me. People talk about karma happening in two different uh, realms. One is the karma they think that comes back to us here on earth, right? We do something bad, something will happen bad to us shortly. I've been with some people in tragic situations who are convinced that the tragic situation is a result of them doing something poorly a while back. I think sometimes that works on two levels. One, There is a law of consequence, right? (laughs) That if we do something bad, something bad will happen. That's not a mysterious force called karma. That's a consequence, right? And the other thing is that, well, tragedy just happens, right? Tough times come. Many people say, keep karma and carry on. They mean it now and they mean it next. Often when people are talking about karma in terms of the next life, they introduce this thought of reincarnation, right? The idea that we have come from something before this life and that when we die, we will be reincarnated as something else. Again, a lot of Eastern religions believe that, but that is not a Christian thought at all. Uh, The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 9, just as man is destined to die once, after that they will face Judgment, right? There's no such thing as as reincarnation. According to the scriptures, we die once and then we stand before God. And if we've come to know Jesus, then we continue to live with him. Many say keep karma and carry on. That's a very precarious way to live. Because the reality is that karma puts us out of control. You guys tracking with me? I know this isn't the most exciting question, but I'm just trying to give you some reason for it. You good? Someone want to tell a joke? I'm seeing lots of kind of like solemn faces today. Four reasons why karma, even though we think puts us in control, puts us out of control. First of all, 
we live in a connected world. We are not isolated people. And because we're so connected, if I have bad karma going on in my life, that karma is going to affect you, right? If your soccer team, for instance, loses seven games in a row and puts you in a bad mood, right? (laughs) Because of my karma, and I'm in a bad mood, it's not just me who's in a bad mood because everybody around me has to experience my bad mood too, right? Karma doesn't work because we're interconnected with each other. Secondly, karma doesn't work because there are too many uncontrolled consequences in life. It is naive to expect to do something good and receive the result that you hope for, right? There's just so many, so many variables about that, right? Say, okay, I'm going to do something good because I want this positive outcome. There are a million stages in between that we don't control that can go wrong. Uh, we were talking, who was I talking to this morning? Uh, Oh, it's April. She's she's outside fishing. And we're talking about this guy that we know who calls into all the radio phones in all the time, right? The phone-ins, right? Gets all the prizes, right? And he thinks he's really, really good at this because he gets about a prize a week, right? So he thinks, man, I I got good karma. It's, It's working for me. But the reality is he's calling into about 100 shows a week, and he's just getting one prize, right? It feels like karma is working, but there's so many forces uh, outside of his control that is not batting as high as he thinks he is. Does that make sense? Karma doesn't work because there's so many uncontrolled consequences that we just can't manage. Third reason why karma doesn't work and we shouldn't rely on it is because of our default setting as humans. Right? Paul says this in Romans. He says that all have sinned. Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means because of the fall, because of what happened in the garden long ago, all of us have got this default badness within us. And if we default to karma then we got a whole lot more bad karma coming our way later on. Does that make sense? Karma is not a Christian thought because all of us are sinners. If we were perfect, maybe it would make sense to believe and trust karma a lot more. But we no, we're not perfect. So to trust it is precarious at best. Fourth reason, that karma is a precarious way to live, is because we are so me-centric. When you think about it, karma is actually a human spiritualism, right? Karma is almost a contradiction, right? Because we're saying that we are trusting in a force bigger than ourselves, but that force bigger than us actually works for ourselves because it takes its cues off our actions. Tracking with me? 
All right. <laughs> Sometimes I got to go slowly because I'm not sure I'm tracking with myself. <laughs> right? But karma is me-centric. Honestly, I know enough about myself that I don't want to control the outcomes for my life. Because left to my own devices, left to my own selfishness, I don't do a very good job of that. But karma, in some strange way, says, I'm God. Because if I act good, good things are going to happen. If I act poorly, bad things are going to happen. I don't want to be at the center of that equation because I know my propensity to mess things up. Right? Many people say, keep karma and carry on. It's become their moral code for them. But to trust karma puts us in a precarious place because we live in a, a relational, connected world. There are things that we can't control. We have a default to badness. And we're incredibly me-centric. But perhaps a fifth reason why karma is not Christian follows up on those last two. Because when you ask the question, who gets the credit for karma? The answer to that is us. The Bible says that our goal is to glorify God. The early catechisms of the church have said the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So if we're trusting in karma, we're not giving God the glory. We're trusting in ourselves. That makes sense? Tracking me so far? So many people say, keep karma and carry on. You get your karma down, life works out. But that's a precarious place to live. And because that's such a precarious place to live, God offers a better way, and he calls it grace. Now, there are a lot of things in grace. There are a lot of principles in the scripture that outlines this grace that look a whole lot like karma. But if we don't have grace as our foundation, as our worldview, these promises and these principles of scripture just become empty. Let me take you to uh, a couple of scriptures. First of all, Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Verses 7, 8, and 9. And in here, Paul is talking about a principle that could look a lot like a karma principle. And it's the principle, it's an agricultural principle of sowing and reaping. And the point that he's making here is that we reap what we sow, right? If we do good things, good things happen. If we uh, sow bad things, 
bad things happen. It sounds a lot like comma. But that principle only works because God, through his grace, intervenes. That principle of sowing and reaping only works when you consider the whole metaphor and all the other stuff that God ordains that needs to go into sowing and reaping. It's not just a case of us doing something good and then then good happens. There is this principle of sowing and reaping. You, you, You sow the seed and... The plant grows. There's a whole lot of other stuff around that plant growing that only God controls. The the process of sowing and receiving is not some mysterious karma thing. It works because of God's grace involved in the process. Does that make sense? Second principle. is we got to set the right standard as well. And again, this sounds a lot like karma if we didn't have grace. In Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says this, the level to which you forgive others is the level that you will be forgiven. Sounds a little bit like karma, right? In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about judgment. He says the level to which you judge others is the level which God will judge you. A little bit later in that same chapter, he says, however much you love other people is the amount that God will love you back. And this principle stands true for all kinds of other things as well, like generosity and mercy. (laughs) Yeah. But again, that process that Jesus is talking about there only works because grace has been given to us, right? We don't receive a level of forgiveness from God just because we've forgiven someone else. For God to forgive is a step of grace. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say is the foundation is not karma. The foundation is grace. If we judge someone benevolently and sets the standard for God to judge us benevolently, that's not because we deserve it. It's because of grace. Karma is not a Christian principle. Don't build your life on karma. Build your life on grace. Sow the right seed because grace helps it grow. Set the right standard because grace returns that standard. Third principle in Scripture Found in Matthew 15. Turn to, turn to Matthew 15. Let me turn to Matthew 15. Let's at least do a little bit of scripture study today. Let me, let me read that. Matthew 15, 15 to 20. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to this, this parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. 
Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. For from your heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. What Jesus is talking about here is having the right attitude inside of us. Because he's saying, what's in your heart will determine your actions. Karma said, hey, if you're in a bad mood, you're going to do bad things. Jesus said, hey, what's in your heart will express itself. But again, this teaching of Jesus is wrapped up and wrapped around by grace. To say, hey, God's in charge here. God's in control. Don't trust karma, trust in grace. We still keep sowing the right seed because growth, grace helps it grow. We still set the right standard because growth reciprocates. We have the right attitude because growth multiplies, grace multiplies that. And a final thought on karma from Scripture is found in Ephesians 2. Turn there and we'll wrap up. You guys know Ephesians 2. It's the, it's the verse on grace. <laughs> I've stapled it in my Bible so I can't get to it. <laughs> I got my little notes in the way. Ephesians 2, right? says it's for grace that you've been saved, not by works so that you can boast. And it's this banner scripture that I think is the real reason that says that this karma thing doesn't work. What Paul is saying is that life is not about what we do, Life is about receiving God's grace, right? If we want to win at life, we can't win and work hard enough to get the kind of karma we need. We have to rely on another system. And that system is called grace. Christianity is not a meritocracy. Karma suggests that there is. If we do good enough, we'll get good enough. Grace opposes the notion that we get what we deserve, and that's the good news. Paul says, this grace is not for yourself so that any man can boast. Karma causes us to boast in ourselves. Grace points our boasting in another direction towards Christ. The question was, is karma Christian? And the answer is no. 
karma doesn't make sense on a logical level, and it doesn't make sense on a human level or a hope level because we mess up too much. A lot of people believe in karma, consciously, a lot subconsciously. But the invitation and the challenge to the believer is not to trust in karma, but to receive God's grace that prevents the enemy from being in control, stops us from being in control, and it lets God be in control. Don't trust in a nebulous, illogical ideology of karma. Trust in the certainty of grace. Amen? Amen. So, I'll ask the question. Is karma Christian? No. No. Instead of trusting in karma, we need to rely on grace. 